0: Hi, everyone. I'm Mark Savatelli, podcast host and president and CEO at NAOP. You're listening to the NAOP podcast, Inside CRE, featuring interviews with commercial real estate leaders who share industry and career insights. NAOP, the Commercial Real Estate Development Association, is the development industry's leading source for education, advocacy, and connections that drive your business forward. I'm happy to be speaking with Brian Walker, president of Burns Scallow Real Estate and 2024 NAOP chair. Brian, I want to welcome you to the first episode of our second season of Inside CRE. Thanks so much for being with us. Burns Scallow Real Estate is one of the largest, fully integrated professional real estate firms in Western Pennsylvania and has subsidiaries specializing in investment, brokerage, development construction, and management of more than 5 million square feet of commercial real estate assets. As president, Brian leads the organization's high-growth-focused mission with an eye on national exposure and expansion. Brian, it sounds like there's an absolute ton on your plate. In addition to all that, of course, you know you get the opportunity to be chair of NAOP here in 2024, and I'm sure that people are real eager to learn More about you, more about your career, and a little bit about what you uh, plan to do in 2024 as your role as chair. So with all that, let's jump right into this. In your opinion, Brian, what makes the industry tick? What do you find about it that's so engaging?
1: Well, first off, thanks, Mark, for having me. Uh, This will be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, What makes it tick? I think there's a lot of reasons why people love the real estate industry. For me, personally, I love the deal making. I love building and developing transformational real estate assets that people over the years have always told me that are impossible to do. I love always being outside the box, trying to find solutions to those challenges. And I can tell you, today we have a lot of those challenges and headwinds for sure. So past 20 years, I spent revitalizing downtowns and you know me well enough that I love this industry deeply.
0: When I was up in Pittsburgh last year, I remember we toured a couple of... Uh couple of projects that were done, uh, what was it, the Meatpacking District, or what are they? Uh, the, the Strip, strip district. district. That's yeah. it. So I knew it was a very unique name. Yeah, so it's, uh, but you know, it used to be a real downtrodden part of the city. And to say that you enjoy revitalizing projects, uh, having seen that part of Pittsburgh in the early 90s, I'd say that's a, a huge understatement.
1: Yeah, um, no, that, that project turned out great, and we're extremely, extremely excited about it.
0: So your career, you know, has largely been in Western Pennsylvania. What do you think of the strengths of the Pittsburgh uh, region? And, you know, we'll forget the Steelers lost the other night to the Bills, but.
1: Yeah, I'm still mourning about that, <laughs> um, to be honest. But, you know, Pittsburgh's really transformed itself for what used to be called the Steel City. And If you haven't been to Pittsburgh in a long time, it's really changed. I mean, it's really developed itself into a, a hub for healthcare, education, technology, robotics and professional services, for example. Um, in Western Pennsylvania, we've always been a very strong annuity market, and our real estate's always been built and priced right. Our growth has always been slow and steady, but I think the offset of that is the market's not really growing rapidly right now, and I think we're going to continue to see some lateral movement from the old CRE buildings to the the new, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon.
0: As you come into your time here as NAOP chair, you know the trend in commercial real estate. Uh, for a number of years now, has been industrial, industrial, industrial. I mean, it's been the hottest property type. Do you think this is going to continue? And what do you think might slow it down?
1: I see no reason industrial is going to fall out of its favorite class. And you know I have a lot of people in that industry as well. So I've been talking to them. And it seems like that demand is normalizing on a national level, kind of to pre-pandemic levels, which is good. I think the question is going to be, is what impact will the capital markets have um, on our existing portfolios? As well as, I guess, new construction, which we so deeply need. Will we continue to watch what's happening on on those fronts uh, as it relates to owners holding tight, uh, unwilling to sell their assets, and you know, with the prices and the and the cap rates that buyers are demanding due to these higher interest rates? So, I think we have a lot of uncertainty that we need to see flush out. I personally think the interest rates will start to release a little bit, and if that happens as expected, I think we'll start to see an increase in activity in the latter part of 2024. And a good friend of mine and, you know, somebody in the industrial industry that I really respect said to me the other day, he said, unanswered question is whether the tenants will pay the higher lease rates proposed by existing landlords for larger spaces or as contemplated for new spec construction. And I I, I think he's really on to something there. We're going to have to wait and see how this Flushes
0: out. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I think if we looked at this seven or eight years ago, you know, most folks in the industrial market would have been thrilled with where rental rates are, you know, but in terms of occupancy and and price per square foot. And now all of a sudden we're saying, geez, this is a slowdown. You know, wouldn't have been that long ago. We've all been doing the happy dance about this. So it's interesting how market perspective can change over time. True. Um, With that being said, you know, you, Burn Scalo and you, you know, you're looking to really grow beyond the Western Pennsylvania region. We've seen industrial has been the real darling of commercial real estate now for a number of years. But is there something as you're your eyeballing out there or just, you know, your contacts in commercial real estate where you're saying, I think this might be the next it product, so to speak. Um, and if so, you know, what do you think that might be looking into your uh, crystal ball there?
1: You know, this is the reason why I'm here. At Burnscott Real Estate. You know, we're completely um, you know, Western Pennsylvania as of right now. And our main goal is to diversify asset class as well as geographically. So we've been spending a lot of time in that front. As we know, NAOP has always traditionally been about industrial and office. And part of our strategic plan and all the studies that we did last year show that unbelievable large amount of our members are really heavily focused on multifamily. A lot of them are being impacted by affordable housing issues, not just in the U.S., but also in Canada. One of the topics that I'm watching very, very closely is the Bill for Rent program. You have these young professionals uh, in these multifamily buildings with the rising interest rates, and they really want to have some type of home ownership uh, or a little bit more space. They want to have a family, get married. I mean, their kids want to have a place for their tricycles or the little basketball hoops in a yard, but they can't yet make that transition to the homes uh, do the pricing mechanisms and really a, a lack of uh, supply that's out there. So this is something I'm watching very closely. It's been really impactful in the smile states, and uh, we're doing some of this work in there. And I think that might be the next hot topic uh, that people continue to focus on and at least that's also what I'm seeing in some of the the investor world as well. Well,
0: you know, speaking of the investor world, a great segue to one of the things I wanted to get your insight on. What do you think is the best opportunity for investment today? So, you, you know, we just asked you about kind of looking into the future, but, you know, if there was capital to invest, what do you think is that best opportunity right now?
1: Well, right now, the best investment opportunity is a little tricky. I mean, we we know we've had 11 bumps in interest rates consistently, uh, It's the highest raising cycle for rates in 40 years. And the fact of the matter with higher construction costs and labor costs and capital markets, most things just don't pencil out right now. We, we've we heard about the old bifurcation between the old commercial real estate and the new. And you know I don't have an answer for all that old necessarily yet. And I think a lot of people are still really struggling with searching for that. Uh, McKinsey Institute came out with a report that was a little disturbing that by 2030, $800 billion of values are going to be lost on major global cities of the old commercial real estate. That doesn't mean I'm not excited about the future of real estate because our industry is, in fact, very resilient. I think the right generational momentum projects that are created that attract major anchors and those fast followers who want to be around those anchors, that want to have that high amenitized development, I mean, for example, access to transportation hubs, hopefully parking in and around their buildings for free, preferably and the ability to get up and walk outside and have access to maybe a cup of coffee or a restaurant and come back and work out in their fitness center and collaborate with their their co-workers. These are the amenities that started to trickle in prior to the pandemic uh, a little bit, but now they're critical for getting employees to want to come back the office because it's simply just not okay to create create physical places any longer where you build a box and four walls and expect that people will come. And that old saying, if you build it, they will come. I just don't think you can ever say that consistently anymore. The world has changed. I think you can say, if you operate brilliantly and please your tenants, they will in fact stay. And I think this new transformational momentum that we create with our Commercial real estate opportunities is what's going to drive that next wave. It's not about being adept in deal making as it was in the past, where you can <clears throat> go in, negotiate a deal, buy it right, uh, make a few operational tweaks, ride the compressed cap rate, sell the asset, make a ton of money and go do it over and over again. Those days are gone right now. And you have to find another way to create value opportunity all throughout a project life cycle. For example, it's not just all about income. You know, operational efficiencies, material labor costs, interest rates are way higher. So you have to have that resilient supply chain. You have to be able to find ways creatively to offset NOI negative margin decline. Perhaps using sustainability as more than check the box type compliance yeah. thing and look for ways to look at our portfolios through climate change, because climate change is the right, you know, is the right thing to be focused on because it is working its way into valuations. And you know I think those companies that find the way to use the people right to build the dynamic designs that employees want to be part of, um those developments will grow accordingly with that. And competitors who fail to do that will just simply be left behind.
0: yeah, it's definitely an interesting time in the market. no doubt about uh, no doubt about that. So we talked about investments. Talked about what you think maybe the hottest property types could be, but what do you think, you know, kind of now looking a little bit in the rear view mirror, you know, what innovations do you think have made the biggest impact on commercial real estate, let's say over the past three to five years?
1: Yeah. So this is a topic I have to challenge myself to continue to focus on. You know, just recently we were talking to our team and we said, listen, we need to treat technology as our biggest competitor because it's moving so fast. And it's one that I have not been probably focused enough on. I mean, surely we we have the obvious, the, the teams, the Zoom, the pandemic transitions. And I think, hate to say it, time will tell whether that's a good thing or bad. Um, my personal opinion is that people need to get back in the office on a more consistent basis. You're seeing major employers make those decisions. UPS just brought everyone back full time now. Amazon coming out saying if you ever want to be promoted, you're going to get back in the office three days a week a little bit. and you know, it's really about leadership, but that's a technology that has really helped offices, you know, communicate amongst each other. So I think time will tell whether that's a good thing or bad thing. But the AI is crazily rapidly growing, and we need to figure out how that works into our world. You know, amazing dynamic pricing models. I mean, you can go into parking garages right now and not even go through a gate because it knows where you're supposed to be. Yeah, so Parking in this area, it knows your pricing, but you get out of that area and go to Say Wegmans for an extended period of time, they know you're in the wrong spot. They charge you. So I think these these technologies um, are helping our do a job. And you know, for me personally, it's something I need to get better at. And you know, I'm really challenged myself for 2024 to really focus on that.
0: Yeah, I think the AI is going to be such an interesting bit of it. You hear more and more of it. Matter of fact, at the you... Uh, upcoming icon East of New Jersey. That's who the keynote speaker is going to be. All about how AI is really bleeding into the design, particularly of industrial spaces. Uh, not something I think any of us would have thought about three to five years ago, and we were all worried about hunkering down about this time three years ago. And now all of a sudden, it's we've got machines that are looking to design the maximum efficiencies of what we got. Uh, that's a big leap in three years.
1: It, it really is. And now AI is being used in deal you know, underwriting. And you know, so I'm watching some of these demos and trying to see how those systems really work. And you know, do I think it's going to replace the individual in the real estate world? I I I think it's a relationship business. It's going to be a tool. Personally, I don't think it's going to change everything. But I mean, we have to learn how to use it best in our business to make wise, smart decisions faster. And I think ultimately, um, you know, we like I said, we need to treat it as our biggest competitor and learn it and understand it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, going back to something you just said there was really interesting because I think you're right. And I don't think there's a person listening to this podcast that would disagree that commercial real estate is a, it's a person business, people to people. With all that in mind and knowing your background, what, what got you to find your way into commercial real estate? And, And I'll just put this out there for everybody listening. You know, Brian was a CPA and, you know, now you find yourself heading up a huge commercial real estate firm. So how'd you find your way into this business?
1: You know, my son is—he's you know, he, in the CPA world. He said he wants to follow my path. I said, I don't think you know what that means. My path is <laughs> a, a little bit different. You know, I thought I was a lifer in public accounting. Um, I loved it. I was a very young partner. I did, fortunately, very well there. And um, I had a number of clients that were in the real estate side, and it, that's where I started learning the business, RTC, and, and and distress pools of assets. You know, it was a large part of what. One of my clients were doing and, you know, and I was being torn in a lot of different directions you know, I had a lot of governmental agencies and nonprofits and the education side was really starting to pull me in a lot of directions. And so I knew I was going to have to make a decision. And uh, one day, ironically, in 2005, there were three things that happened on three consecutive days. On a Tuesday, I went to a country club and I met one of my probably most in- uh, instrumental mentors in my professional career as a state rep at that time and he was with two other politicians and they were trying to talk me into run for office on a that was a tuesday on wednesday i was escorted to uh we'll say a local township by uh, uh the authorities due to a death threat that was in my mailbox because of a forensic audit i was doing And on thursday um i got a phone call from that client i was doing a ton of work with in the industry and said what are you doing for lunch and i said probably eating and he asked me to come eat with him and offer me a job and you know I, I i made a pivot and next thing you know i'm you know cfo of a a real estate development company
0: that's quite the eventful 72 hours um <laughs> yes. so look at it look at it those 72 hours you know now it's it it's been a number of years you've stuck in commercial real estate what continues to make you so passionate then about commercial real estate. I mean, you you know, you said it a moment ago. You know, you really thought you were going to be a lifer in public accounting, and you know, here we are today talking about commercial real estate.
1: Well, I said earlier, I love the deal making. I mean, for nearly two decades, I was a transactional guy as CFO, CIO. Right. You know, we went you know nearly through a billion dollars in investment revitalizing downtowns, and I love that stuff. And now. As President Burns Real Estate, I'm doing something different. You know, charged with the the goals of leading on a growth mission to um, go across the U.S. and look to hopefully one day be communities um, or, or uh, residents in communities with some of our other chapters. And we're really excited about overlaying that growth strategy with what I have coming up here with Naop and. Excites me every day is the amazing team, the people that I get to work with every single day, who all are bought into those same goals and passions, and and and, and that makes what I do extremely excited because they're all bought into it. But we have some big challenges. It's a tough market right now, and it's hard to grow. But this is a time when people are running away from their fears, um, and we're now we're running into the fire and investing in our futures, and. Um, you know, trying to get people to stay on board with that. You need great people around you. And I, no doubt I have that here at Burns Fallon.
0: For those that are entering commercial real estate right now, what advice would you give them? You know, you just talked a moment ago about, you know, we, it's a challenge because of the kind of the macroeconomic conditions, you know, and everybody in this industry, you know, those that are their veterans, we've seen the ups and the downs. And right now you've got people that perhaps are entering the profession and we're not exactly at our peak. At the moment, right now. So, for somebody that's coming in, someone that's been battle tested like yourself, what
1: what advice would you give them? No, I think it's with most things, you get what you put into it. So, I would tell them immediately join NAOP. You know, get involved. Go to every single networking event. Get to meet you know other people who have similar thoughts and desires. And it's a relationship business, and it's been the large part of what I've been able to do over the course of almost twenty years. So. You know, really put your heart and soul, be all in immediately. Join a committee, you know. Start to give back. You know, work your way through leadership and hope to end up on a local board. It's kind of the path I went. I mean, I I have a feeling we'll get to this later on, but I just was 100% all in and pivoted outside of commercial real estate. So I wanted to know everything about everything as real estate, and I had a whole new set of people I need to know. So, but you got to go to everything. You got to shake hands and, and and get to know people.
0: Yeah, you know, you've told me that story. And if you wouldn't mind giving, you know, maybe kind of the brief version now. You know, when you first went to NAOP, I mean, you were you were still a younger guy. And we'll, you know, we'll we'll get into that because it's it's pretty fascinating. But looking at it in terms of a mentor, you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago you had a, a a mentor, someone that was a former public official, and clearly it had a big impact on the direction you took. Maybe it relates to that, maybe you've had another mentor that gave you some great advice. But what was the best advice that you ever received from a mentor? Yeah,
1: you know, I've had a, a, a couple of really great mentors over time and really helped shape my career. But I think the best advice someone said to me was do what you say you're going to do. And I think so many times people just don't follow that simple advice. And I think in the end, what happens as a result is they lose respect and industry trust. And it, it's a really simple thing. And, you know, uh, just do what you say you're going to do. And, you know, I think that really gets people through uh, their professional career with respect and integrity.
0: Well, I so we were going to circle back to it, today I do want to circle back to it. We teed it up there. You know, you've been an active member of NAOP for a long time. As a matter of fact, to the best of our knowledge, you were the first NAOP chair that was at one point a developing leader. So you've been active for a while. Sorry to age you, but, you know, it's uh you, you've had a couple of years under your belt in <laughs> NAOP's time. How did you first get involved with NAOP and what, you, what made you choose that? There are other organizations in Pittsburgh, too, that you probably could have turned to.
1: You know, I remember vividly what it was like to be a 32-year-old young professional, we'll say, bouncing out. You know, I just sold my partnership interest and, and I was going to be CFO of a real estate development company. And there's me confident, thinking I knew a lot about this industry. And what I realized almost immediately was I had a lot to learn. Yeah, And NAOP, for me personally, was that amazing organization to provide me with all those networking opportunities, to expose me to all that education, resources, knowledge that I needed in hopes that I could use it to build a strong foundation and hopefully launch a successful career. And, um, you know, for me to have the opportunity to be that first, I guess, it sounds like developing leader to come through the ranks and try to find their way in this industry um, and make it to you know, the board in Pittsburgh and then to the national board all the way to this chair is such an honor. But I'm really looking forward to traveling around and telling what that story was like. I mean, DLs represent what 28 of our membership, and um, there are 40 almost 40 percent of our membership of the members we added in twenty twenty three. They're 30% of our forums, So it's some fastest growing membership class. And you know, we I'm looking forward to meeting them and hearing their challenges and make sure that we're investing in them.
0: So going on that, you're a 32-year-old guy. You get involved in NAOP, you show up, show up at a meeting something brought you back. What made you come back again to another meeting? You know, there had to be something like, oh, maybe this wasn't so bad. Was it a connection? Was it a person you met? Maybe something that I'm not even thinking of here where you said, I've landed in the right spot.
1: Well, in Pittsburgh, we have some pretty good networking meetings. So we had a lot of fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, no, it's, it, it meant everything for my business. I mean, it was, it's, I really, I mean it when I say it, it's all about relationships. You know, we, the old saying is we do business with, you know, people you know, like and trust. And, and that's me to a T. Fortunately for me, I had the ability to go in and meet a lot of people. And, you know, I like to have fun and we just met some great people that became partners and, you know, unbelievable relationships and lenders and people who want to transform downtown Pittsburgh. And they knew our challenges and that stuff's contagious. And, um, I was fortunate, but again, I was at every single thing that possibly happened from morning events to the evening events. And and it's amazing when you get to know somebody personally that they want to see you succeed as much as they want to. And um, amazing things came from that.
0: You know, speaking of some amazing things coming from that, you know, you shared an interesting story with the NAOP board uh, during the passing of the gavel at uh, the CRE Converge Conference last fall in Seattle. And, you know, you spoke about how you were first welcomed into NAOP leadership and reflected on the past chairs that you've worked with and how instrumental that was to you. Mind shared a little bit of that with our listeners? I mean, there were people that came up to me after that board meeting saying that that was really just such an inspiring and, and, and cool story to hear. And I think it'd be great for the listeners to hear that, too.
1: Uh, I be happy to. I mean, I I wrote that for a reason because I mean I got to meet several amazing people. I mean, let's just start with Kim Snyder, who I knew a little bit, but I didn't get to know him until this really this past 12 months. I mean, no wonder he's been so successful and prologious in his career. He was amazing to work with. And look what we did under his leadership. You know, we have a brand new strategic plan, a roadmap for what we will think about for the next three years. He was really passionate about his desire to advance our DEI Um, and under his leadership, we have a working committee now from that concept. Uh, We have a new membership structure and I know, you know, not everyone was excited about having a conversation, but it was an inclusive process of, you know, dozens of people across North America who really came together and listened to what people were saying we had to have because it was too confusing to explain and grow and, and you know, there's a lot of stuff that we did in one year from Kim, and I got to learn an awful lot about him. My first chair was Jim Nyer, and at that very first board meeting, he put me on the spot and asked me to stand <laughs> up, talk about what's going on in Pittsburgh, and you know, discuss the trends that you're seeing in commercial real estate. And man, that calibrated me quickly. I knew immediately that I needed to stay focused and be prepared every single day that I showed up at a a board meeting. And I I was taking that serious too. I would also say at that same board meeting, Greg Fuller, who was chair-elect at that time, was the very first person to come up to me and introduce himself and shake my hand. And there's no reason why he had to do that. He didn't know me from anything. But I realized that Greg was also taking it very seriously. And man, Greg and I became very fast friends. And I really appreciate that help transition as I was moving out of Pittsburgh onto the national board. And then what about Larry? Lance, who was so really excited to embark upon his new role as chairman, unbeknownst to him, <laughs> that he was about to embark upon, um, arguably the most complicated time for our commercial real estate organization during the global pandemic. And under yep. his leadership and working with him and watching him, um, and amazing, you know, adjustments made by the NAP staff, they made sure and Larry made sure that NAP was always relevant and everything that we're doing to give us the information that we needed to come out the other side stronger than when we went in it. And he did an amazing job. And I'm so lucky to be able to call him friend because I learned a lot watching him lead during that period of time. And then Molly picked up right where Larry left and Molly, you know, was now tasked with trying to ease us back into face-to-face meetings. And so many of our members at that point in time wanted it, but not realizing how incredibly complicated was, but Motley dealt with it and never wavered and, and got us back into those face-to-face meetings. And lastly, and interestingly enough, Jeff Malonic was all set to go out and start reconnecting with the chapters and something that was really critical at that point in time, because there, we hadn't been able to see people and, Absolutely. And, and interact with chapters. And so he was all ready to go, but then he he too was faced with a unique challenge, the retirement of our CFO and CEO of over 30 years. And on his leadership, put together a task force who worked closely with our executive committee who hired a new CFO, a new COO and you, new CEO. And as I said to the board, two of which were promoted from within and all all of which were simply amazing. And so for me to be in this position here today to even be mentioned in the same breath as these individuals that I had the opportunity to work so closely with them, become, you know, very close and friends and watch them lead and overcome these challenges is just really an honor for me. And um I can't wait to uh give back to this organization for that.
0: You know, being the chair of NAOP, it's a volunteer position. You know, you're you're not doing this to get paid. It takes a ton of time, takes energy, takes focus, takes passion. What what drives you? To take on this role, and I and I ask this because for those of you that don't know, Brian uh, Brian is full of energy. I don't think I've ever seen you sit still, and I say that as someone that is constantly running around as well too. But you know, what what gives you that drive and energy for the role you've just started to take on?
1: Well, you know, hopefully the listeners can hear I'm pretty passionate about. This industry, and you know, and that's just the way I've been all my life. I've always been all in, one hundred percent, whatever I was doing. And you know, I think right now, probably more than ever, we need strong leadership to get through these tough times. And and I I say that because from a hybrid work perspective, there's a lot of management going on, and our our office members need our workers will be back in the office and leadership is a large part of that. And, you know, I'm guessing we're going to get into some of the regulatory stuff and advocacy stuff that we're talking about here later, but this is a really critical time for our organization. And I'm I'm really passionate about those types of things. So I'm looking forward to those challenges and trying to make sure that we're communicating with all of our members as to what we're doing, because there's a far more going on. I would bet that most people realize on that front and I've never been Accused of being light on energy, focus, or passion, and I—I I think that's probably going to be the same for 2024. And to have the opportunity to get back to that organization to help make sure that we're doing our part to give our members the opportunity to fight through these challenges together and do everything we possibly can to help them through there is something I'm really excited about. But it also overlays enormously well with what we're trying to do with our growth strategies, too, in my company, and. One of our we're a fully integrated professional service firm with construction and development as one of our subsidiaries, brokerage and management, investment and ownership. And one of our strategies is to grow on take all four of them on the national level. And NEI Burns Scala, we joined the NEI network, and it's it's interesting because we're looking into other areas to expand our services business as well. So as I'm traveling, meeting people like minded individuals who could be my future investor. Partners on development deals. I can also get to live in the community and see about opening up an office there. And I love that stuff. That's one of the major reasons why I came to this company to grow. And you know, we're right in the thick of it. So I, I'm 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 super excited. But it's not you know, let's not forget the fact it will take a lot of time and focus. And thankfully, I have a very supportive wife. I mean, my wife Joe has been amazing. Not just. You know, in the last several years, going through this this pandemic and crisis, she's been there from day one with me, building my career. And this isn't going to be easy for her too, as I'm traveling yeah. you know, nearly thirty weeks out of the year. And so, fortunately, you know, we're both bought into this, and um, I'm really excited about the opportunity.
0: We see what gives you the passion, what gives you the drive. What are you hoping to accomplish this year? You know, as chair, you you alluded to advocacy a moment ago. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's probably one part, but. What are you looking to accomplish in your year
1: well no doubt i mean we just we have this brand new strategic plan and something we haven't been able to do in the last couple of years due to the pandemic so i'm really proud of where we landed with this you know this is not something was slapped together between a, a lunch and a happy hour i mean <laughs> this is dozens and dozens of you know meetings over a course of well over a year thousands of thousands of conversations you know, focus groups, surveys, town hall meetings to really listen to our members about what they need and want, what they didn't like and wanted to see changed. And so I'm really proud of where we landed on that. So that has to be part of our goal to get early momentum with that. And, and I, I, I think I'm already starting to see that happening. I'm looking forward to getting to those details in our February meeting. Also, that strategic plan lines up really well because it's set to develop the mission of elevating the awareness of our commercial real estate organization. When we get to the advocacy part of this conversation, I'll talk more about that. But we have to elevate the awareness because we do have some headwinds to fight through. We're going to continue to operate with amazing amounts of inclusivity, transparency, integrity, innovation, and collaboration. And we heard a lot about that, and that's right in our plan, and we're going to make sure we continue to focus on that. We're going to do everything we possibly can to enhance and continue to support the great work our members are doing in the communities. And I'm fortunate to be able to targeting 20 plus chapter visits this year. And I can't wait to get in there and see what's working, uh, learn what's not so I can bring it back um, and and share those experiences with other people so that we can learn the, the look. And lastly, you know, you know, I'm excited about being deliberate, investing, engaging in our future NAOP and industries, workforce, and leaders. And that's something I've been passionate about. I've been a mentor in Pittsburgh for 15 years. I've done it a few times on the national level through NAOP's mentoring programs. So something I've just been really passionate about over the years and I'm excited about. I think we cannot lose sight of the fact that oh, those headwinds I referenced a few minutes ago. Uh, we absolutely have to do everything we possibly can to get our members through these difficult times. Um, there's about a trillion dollars of CRE debt. That's coming due here in 2024. So we have to continue to deepen our, our leadership and involvement on the federal, state, provincial, local advocacy efforts. We need to make sure that we're always heightening the awareness of what we're doing to all of our members to try to help them. And I know we communicate, but there's something that I really want to continue to push hard on because these are going to be some difficult times. I mentioned earlier with Kim getting all that momentum with our DEI committee. So the inclusivity side and making sure that we're building that and enhancing that what we just started really with the committee focus last year. We we have a lot of work still to do on that. And
0: most definitely. Um, I know you've always been passionate about advocacy. You know, you you mentioned earlier that one of your mentors was an elected official. What do you see as being the most important issues for NAOP in 2024?
1: Well, we first off, we got to continue our great work with our allies and relationships. We need to make sure that these regulators fully understand the issues at hand with our commercial real estate world. As I mentioned, we got about a trillion dollars of CRE debt that's maturing in 2024. And we need to make sure they understand the impact to our members when they are going to start to try to refinance at much, much higher interest rates. Yep. Need to continue to push for clarity and easing of some certainties. And what I mean by that is bank regulators continue to urge banks to reduce their exposure to commercial real estate debt, which is making this credit crunch even more difficult. There's roughly $6 trillion of commercial real estate loans out there right now, and over 50% of it are with banks. And the, the agencies that are overseeing the banking and financial systems are giving mixed signals right now, which is making it even more difficult. At the same time they're saying to our borrowers, work with them. Yeah. Give them some time. They're proposing regulations that increase bank capital requirements. And all these issues is a perfect storm coming together. We have to continue to communicate with them, which I know we are, but I'm definitely passionate about it. It's probably my biggest goal right now I'm pushing on it, communicating on it, and making sure not just they know what is happening to our industry, but our members know what we're doing so that we can be in this all together. Because United, we're going to be much stronger together to fight these issues. And we owe it to our membership to do that and lead it.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. Couldn't agree with you more on that. You know, I I want to just close it out with a few quick questions here. Uh, What do you think, you know, looking again with your ball cap on as NAOP's chair, uh, do you think that NAOP can do to prepare our members for a period of uncertainty or these economic stresses that we were just talking about?
1: Obviously, we you know what we just talked about is these regulations aspect of things. I mean, never in forty years did we see eleven consecutive rate increases in the course of just over a year. So you know, we need to be able to work with our folks to communicate these policies and the regulations are happening on the capital market side. I mean, deals just don't make sense right now. we need to see some relief on this front, some certainty, and all the things I was mentioning about. The, the confusion and the uncertainties happening in the market is something that we need to be able to help educate our members for because, you know, they, they, what you we know, got this, you know, Federal Reserve now implementing this Basel end game, endgame, uh, which is really talking about increasing capital requirements. I mean, you know, we're at a point in time that 196 of our office space in the United States is vacant, up from last year, 18.8%. Highest vacancy rate in, in you know, in our country since 1979, they need to understand that. They need to understand the impact it will take when they try to increase large banks over $100 billion, 16% of their capital requirements, up to 19% for the largest banks. Yet at the same point in time, urging these banks to work with their bars, but they need the capital from the maturities. There's a lot of confusion in this market. we yeah. have got to do a good job to work with their allies, hear our members, make sure we're communicating the challenges that they have. And, you know, this is going to be a difficult year, but optimistic and we are resilient as an organization, you know, just got to make sure that we're effective communicators all the way.
0: Yeah, well, there's definitely been some bumps in the road, um, but here we are still, you know, almost uh, 35 years after 1979. And, you know, we're while well, we've got a high office vacancy rates, we're we're still here and we'll definitely we'll definitely survive. So, you know, I've known you for a little while now. There's one thing I've known about you, Brian, like I said earlier, you got a ton of energy. And for those that uh, maybe don't know you all that well, I, I find it amusing that uh, you get on the treadmill every morning and you start reading. I don't know how you manage to uh, read and run at the same time. You've got it up on people that can walk and chew gum. But, you know, when you're reading, you're always taking insight into something. What, what's something that you've read recently, whether it's business, non-business, that you think, aha. This was really great. This really left a mark.
1: My chairman is a really big reader. I mean, almost daily, he's giving me stuff to read. And he his saying is saying his readers are leaders. And um, so I'm always trying to keep up. I, I think one of the, one of the most interesting books I read, especially coming from being a transactional guy, CFO, CIO for 20 years, getting outside my comfort zone. What I needed to do was prepare for a different world. And I, probably the most interesting book, I would say, was a book called CEO Excellence. And it was about the six mindsets that distinguish the best leaders from the rest and case studies uh, about how to drive and leaders and and, and try to drive a mission while getting people's buy-in to that. And, you know, I went on a hundred day plan, really listening to them and trying to build relationships and trying to figure out who who we need to be and want to be in the future so that our next chapter is bigger than our past. And um, I think that book gave a, an awful lot of insight.
0: So one final thing, what's something about you that you think might surprise our listeners?
1: Well, I'm a, I'm a really big hiker. I do plan trying to find my way out after some of these chapter visits to explore some of these wonderful treasures that I've never seen before. But just something to be being out in nature with Time to think because I am on the run an awful lot and I have, you know, a high desire to multitask. And sometimes I do a little bit too much. But when I'm out hiking and walking and finding time to think, you know, I come up with a lot of interesting thoughts. And I'm looking forward to doing more of that over this, this next year. Or so I might do the rim to rim. What's you know? the rim to rim? I've been looking at it. Uh, my friends in Arizona, I need to get a little bit more intel, but you. You pop down over the edge of the Grand Canyon at four o'clock in the morning. You go all the way down the bottom. You walk all the way across the top, and you go up the northern slope. and And uh, it's in, in twenty six miles tip to tip. Going to try to do it in under ten eleven hours. So I'm I'm evaluating whether this year will be the year, but uh, if it's not this year, it'll be next year.
0: I'll go go out on a limb. You're not going to read while doing that, actually, right? This one, we just focused on that walking.
1: I I, I yeah, surviving.
0: well that's great well Brian I want to thank you so much for your time today it's been a great conversation I have no doubt that our listeners will enjoy hearing your insights and your perspectives not only on this podcast but as you continue to lead NAOP through
1: 2024 Mark it was my pleasure it was great to see you thank you
0: thanks again Thanks for listening to Inside CRE with your host, Mark Savatelli. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and be sure to subscribe.